Right, if you wouldn't open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Begin reading in verse 46 and read through verse 52. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means forgetting. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, which means fruitful. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this evening, begging a blessing from your storehouses of grace. All that our Lord Jesus Christ has earned and purchased and stored up for his people. Father, we pray you give us an outpouring of that mercy and that grace, the righteousness, every blessing that our Lord Jesus Christ has earned for his people, we pray you give us an outpouring of it this evening. Father, how we thank you for such a Savior. The Savior is your own Son who came in the flesh to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. How he obeyed the law perfectly, not for himself, but to earn a righteousness for his people. And how he suffered and died, not for his own sin, but the sin of his people charged to him. And how we thank you, how his sacrifice, how his precious blood has put away all of the sin of all of your people and made us accepted in thy sight. Father, how we thank you. What a savior. Father, I pray that you'd give us a soul hungering after him and that you would be pleased to defeat us with the preaching of your gospel, the opening of your word. I pray you'd give us a soul thirst for him. And Father, then that you would open the fountains of the water of life to us, enable us to drink freely by the preaching of your word. Father, bless us tonight as we've met together. Bless us for thy great namesake. That your name be exalted and Father, that your people be taught and comforted and edified. And what we pray for ourselves, Father, we pray for your people, wherever they meet this evening. Father, bless your word in this dark, dark day. Let the light shine forth that your people may see the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we continue to pray for those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial, sickness, heartbroken and misery, Father, we pray you'd be with your people, that you'd comfort, that you'd heal, 
Father, that you'd deliver as soon as it could be thy will. Now all these things we ask in that name which is above every name. For the glory and sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now I've titled the message this evening, Christ the Active Savior. I want us to see Joseph as a picture of Christ our Savior during his earthly ministry who came to be a servant. He, that's why I read that passage in, in Matthew. He came to be a servant. He didn't come to be waited on. He came to, to serve. Now I want to see how active the Savior was in that ministry. How active he was in saving his people from their sin. That's what I want us to see. Now first thing I want us to see is this. Joseph was 30 years old when all this began. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now the fact that Joseph was 30 years old, that's not just a random fact that Moses threw in there, you know, to kind of interest us. He wrote that as a picture of Christ. Luke 3, verse 23 tells us that the Lord Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry, the same age as Joseph is. And there are a few reasons that age 30 is significant. First, to the Jews, a man was considered to be a real adult once he reached 30 years old. Well, the Lord Jesus waited until the Jewish community considered him to be a real adult before he began his earthly ministry. He could have begun it at age 2, age 3, age 12. He's 12 years old. He confounded all the doctors and lawyers there in the, in the temple, didn't he? He could have started earlier. He had the wisdom, he had the ability, but he waited until he was 30. So now the Jews had to say, yes, this is a, a fully grown man, capable of, of being in this position. And I just see something so beautiful there. The Lord Jesus Christ is the righteousness of his people. He came in the flesh and he obeyed the law as the representative of his people. When Christ obeyed the law, his people obeyed it in him. That's our righteousness, that we obeyed the law in Christ. God's elect are made righteous, not by what we have done, but by what a representative man has done for us. It's the same way we are made sinners. It's by the disobedience of a representative man, Adam. We're made righteous by the obedience of another representative man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this righteousness was earned by a full-grown man. This is not the obedience of a child that just last, lasted a few years. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. This is the obedience of a full-grown man who endured every temptation of life that all of us endure. He endured all of them without sin. All the way through adulthood. 30 years. That's just hard to imagine, isn't it? What those first 30 years were like for our Savior. Scripture doesn't tell us very much about it. Very little at all does it tell us about those first 30 years. But I do know this. The Lord Jesus always knew who he was. He always knew he was the son of God. This isn't something he just discovered, you know, as he got older in life. No, he always knew he's the son of God. He always knew he was the savior. He always knew he was the God man. And I know that so because of one hint we do get about the Lord's childhood. 
when he was 12 years old and he was confounding all those doctors and all those Pharisees and, and, and talking to them about the scriptures. Mary and Joseph thought he was lost and they come back and find him. And he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. And Gene, he wasn't talking about down there in a carpenter shop. He wasn't talking about his foster father, Joseph. He was talking about God the Father. He said, don't you know, I must be about this business of doing my father's business and serving him and pleasing him. See, he knew he was God in the flesh. Now, just think about this. Yet he submitted himself to the authority of his parents who didn't have a fraction of the wisdom that he had. He submitted himself to the authority of his parents who he created, who he gave life and who depended on him for breath. He submitted to them and he endured all of that. I mean, you could just keep going on and on and on about all the ways that this child, Jesus, and this young man, Jesus, how he submitted himself and obeyed authority, obeyed every law that, that, that was about him. He endured all of that clear to adulthood. So there would be no question. He worked out a perfect righteousness for his people. This was not some fly-by-night operation. He did it perfectly to an adult. Second, to the Jews, once a man turned 30, they considered him capable of leadership. You know, interestingly enough, you have to be 30 years old to be elected to the House of Representatives. That's right. I think that's right. 30 years. I should have looked that up. I think that's right. To be elected to Congress. You'll be 30 years old before you're considered capable of leadership like this. Well, the Lord waited until he was 30 years old to begin his public ministry. So the Jewish leaders, now they might not like what he was saying. They didn't like what he was saying, did they? But they had to admit he's worthy of leadership. He's reached that age where we say he's worthy of leadership. And there just cannot be any question about the leadership of our Savior, his ability to lead. He told us, follow him, didn't he? If a man tells you to follow him, he better be able to lead. He comes into the sheepfold and he calls his sheep. He calls them by name and leads them out. Now he's worthy to lead them out. He's worthy to take every step before his sheep do and lead them out. He's capable of guiding and protecting and leading his sheep and bringing them all the way to glory. When he says, follow me, tell you what to do, follow him. Because he proved himself worthy of following him because he proved himself capable of leading and guiding and protecting sheep like you and me. Sheep who would wander off Sheep who would get lost. Sheep that the wolf would devour. He's proved himself capable of leading wandering sheep like you and me and bringing us to glory. When he says, follow me, follow him. He's proved himself worthy, a worthy leader. And then third, once a man turned 30, the Jews would recognize him as an authentic teacher. Now again, I go back to this 12-year-old boy confounding those Pharisees and scribes and lawyers with his knowledge of the scriptures. And they just always would have, would have thought, 12-year-old boy, you know, he, don't, he doesn't know anything. 
But the Lord waited until he was 30 to begin his earthly ministry so that people would recognize him as an authentic teacher. Even the Pharisees had to admit he's an authentic teacher. I mean, Nicodemus came to him and said, Master, you're a teacher sent from God. I know that. You're a teacher. And what a teacher he is. No one else taught what the Savior taught. Everybody else taught the law, didn't they? That's all the Pharisees were teaching was the law. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace dripped from his lips. He taught grace. And how the publicans, how the sinners, how the harlots, how the uneducated flocked to him. He's teaching what I need. Grace, mercy, peace with God. And you know how he does it? The teacher teaches himself. Christ is the teacher. And he's the lesson. He teaches his people, come to him. He teaches his people, depend on me. Depend on me to be everything that you need. I'm your wisdom. I'm your righteousness. I'm your sanctification. I'm your redemption. I'm your prophet. I'm your priest. I'm your king. These are not just things. They're not things in God's kingdom. Salvation is a person in its entirety. Salvation is a person. And I tell you how you know you've been taught of of God. You come to Christ. That's what the Lord said. Everybody's taught of the Father. Comes to me. Comes to me. Now come to him. Rest in him. He's worthy to be trusted. Oh, he's worthy to be believed. He's the one that teaches his people. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful he doesn't leave it up to us to figure it out? Aren't you thankful he doesn't leave it up to a man to teach you? Oh, we have pastors. We have teachers. We need them, don't we? But tell you, tell you when you'll be taught so that you come to Christ. It's when God speaks to your heart. When he teaches you, you'll come. You'll come. All right, here's the second thing. Joseph personally went through all the land of Egypt. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now Joseph went out from Pharaoh and he began to serve. And here's how he did it. By going through all the land of Egypt. He went everywhere, all the land of Egypt, preparing for this famine of seven years away. Here he is standing before Pharaoh and says, now we're getting ready to start having seven years of plenty and then there'll be seven years of of famine. I mean, you know, we don't have just, you know, emergency right now. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and immediately began preparing for what was to come. Went through all the land of Egypt doing it. And that's such a beautiful picture of our Savior who sacrificed everything to save his people, who did everything it took at his own personal expense to save his people from their sin. He came to earth and he went everywhere. I mean, he went in every city, in every town. That passage we read to open the the scripture, you know why he went to Jericho? So that he went out of that place, he'd give sight to those two blind beggars. That's why he went. He went everywhere. Just like Joseph went through all the land of Egypt, our Savior went everywhere, showing himself 
as the promised Savior, as the promised Messiah. He showed it by his preaching. He showed it by his character. He showed it by his miracles. He showed everyone everywhere. Here's the answer to your spiritual dearth. It's me. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, the ninth chapter. In verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The Savior went everywhere. All over the land, in every city, in every burg, in every town, healing everybody that needed healing. If there was a disease, he healed it. He preached the gospel to everybody that needed to hear it. He went and found every lost sheep, and he saved them. Now that's what the Savior did during his earthly ministry, public ministry. Now I want to ask you a question. Here today, 2,000 years later, do you need to hear the gospel? I mean, hear it in your heart. Hear it with a heart of faith. Do you need to hear the gospel? Do you need to be healed of your spiritual diseases, your wounds and bruises and putrefying sores? Do you need to be saved from your sin? Do you? Well, you know what? The same Savior is still in the same business today as he was during his public ministry. He still sends his gospel to his sheep, whoever they might be. He promised us he's here tonight. I mean, you think of that. He's here meeting with his people when they when they gather together to worship him, wherever his sheep are. He still saves everyone who needs saving. Everyone. Now, doesn't that just calm your heart right down? You cannot go anywhere. The Savior can't reach and find you and save you. You can't go anywhere outside of his reach. He goes everywhere to save his people from their sin. It's like Joseph went through all the land of Egypt. Now, I've always found this very, very interesting. Even as a, a little boy, this occurred to me. Now, Joseph set free from prison. He's given all of this power. He's given freedom to do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants. Pharaoh said, Joseph, it's all on you. I mean, you just do whatever you want, and everybody better be bound to need Joseph. When Joseph was set free to do whatever in this whole wide world he wanted to do, what did he do? He began serving. He immediately began serving Pharaoh. He immediately began serving the people of the world. He immediately began preparing for this famine that was to come. Now that was self-sacrificing. And he did it everywhere he went. I mean, he did it with everything that he had. I would think that surely, in seven years, seven years, there was enough downtime to go find, see his father once. Surely, in seven years, 
there's available time for the man to take a vacation. No, sir. He didn't do it. He spent all seven of those years, 24-7, preparing for the famine that was to come. He would not please himself. And that's such a good picture of our Savior. He's God. He can always do as he pleases. Isn't that right? He can do whatever he pleases. Well, what did he do? He went out from his father. Joseph went out from Pharaoh. Christ went out from his father. He was with his father in glory. Daily the delight of his father. And he came to earth, clothed in human flesh, to be a servant. To be a servant to everybody. He came to serve his father. He came to do his father's will. Fulfill the father's covenant of grace. Fulfill the father's purpose to save a people. Not by ignoring their sin, but by making them righteous. By making them righteous through Christ's obedience. By putting their sin away by the sacrifice of God's own son. God was so intent on saving his people in truth and mercy. He sent his son to be slaughtered to put the sin of his people away. And Christ came as the willing servant, determined to do that. He came determined to please his father. And I know he did it because the father said, you better listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he came to serve his people. He's Lord and Master. He told his disciples, you call me Lord and Master and you say, well, for so I am. But he came to be their servant. He came to serve his people by obeying the law for them. By establishing righteousness for them. He came to serve his people by taking their sin away from them and making it his. To take their sin that defiled their souls that would condemn them to hell into his own body on the tree. And suffering and dying to put that sin away. So those people could be brought to God. And he never one time sought his own comfort. He never one time sought his own well-being. He was always seeking the salvation of his people. He was always seeking the, the will of his Father. Now that's our Savior. That's our Savior. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for the faith to trust him? The God-given faith to trust him? That's our Savior. And Joseph is such a good picture of that. Joseph went through all the land himself. Himself. The task of being sure that the world had enough food to eat during those seven years of famine, Pharaoh gave that job to Joseph, didn't he? Joseph, it's your job. Well, Joseph went out through all the land of Egypt to personally be sure the job was done right. Who could blame Joseph if at least for a while he said, you know, I've been in prison. I got these chains been around my, my, my wrist and my ankles. And, you know, I'm tired. I'd like to take a, a good long bath. I'd like to have somebody feeding me some grapes and waving a, a fan on me and something. Just, just let me have a few days to kind of recover from these years in prison. That's not what he did. He didn't stay in the palace and enjoy the high life. He didn't gather some servants together and say, now you go, you boys, you're going to be my minions and you go out and do this in this city. And that, you know. No, he went out himself 
And he oversaw all that work himself. And he did it as a picture of Christ. You know, there's been times the Lord sent an angel to do something on earth. He sent the angels to announce the birth of the Lord, didn't he? The birth of the Savior. Angels did that. But when it came time to redeem his people from their sins, the Father didn't send an angel. The Father didn't raise up a man like Moses to be a prophet, to do this job of redemption for his people. When it came time to redeem his people from their sin, the Father sent the Son himself. The Son himself. The Son of God. The light of glory. The glory of heaven clothed himself in human flesh and came to this earth to be sure the job was done right. The father gave him the job, saving his people. He said, son, in the covenant of grace, I've chosen this people. I've elected this people. I'm giving them to you to save. And you've got to make them righteous. You've got to obey the law for them. You're going to have to suffer and die to put their sin away. The job's yours. And the son said, father, I'll do it. And he came himself to make sure the job was done right. And Gary, it was done right. <laughs> he did it perfectly. And I love to think about that. I love to think about the Savior coming to do this job of redemption himself because he loved his people so much. He was going to personally see the job was done right so that they're saved from their sin. Then here's the third thing. Joseph gathered so much corn you couldn't count it all. Verse 47 says, And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering. For it was without number. And it's just hard to imagine the silos and the storage facilities that Joseph must have built to store up this, this, this seven years of plenty so there'd be enough corn. And I'm sure it's not just corn, it's wheat and every kind of, you know, grain that they grow in that area. Joseph had to gather enough of that together and store it so there'd be enough to feed that whole area of the world. For seven full years. I mean it's just hard to imagine. Isn't it? There had to be silos everywhere. But he did it. He got the job done. Because one man. One man. In all the world. Knew this famine was coming. And one man knew what to do about it. And he went and did it. He got the job done. And that's such a good picture of our Savior. There's one Savior. There's one Savior. Before creation, the Father gave a people to His Son to save. And Scripture tells us that number, the number that the Father chose to save is a number that no man can number. It's like the corn that Joseph was storing up. I can just see Joseph. I mean, you can just, I think you can pretty well tell this is a diligent man. I mean, can't you, don't you think you can just safely say this is a diligent, diligent man? 
I'm sure he got his little, you know, accounting book out there and he's keeping track of all this, you know, and he's doing such a good job of it. And the abundance just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And finally, Joseph, I quit. I can't keep track of it all. It's just too much. I can't keep track of it all. That's a picture of God's elect. God's elect are a number. Scripture says no man can number. It doesn't say they can't be numbered. It says no man can number them. But God has numbered them. He's numbered them specifically. It's not just a number. He knows each one of them by name. God knows who they are and where they are. He's not lost track of one of them. And he sent one man to save all those people. One. Now, it was the God man. It was God in human flesh. But it was one man. And this one man is so precious. He's so perfect. He's so wonderful that by himself he saved all that number that no man can number. He saved every last one of them. Made them perfect. Look over at John 17 for for a moment. Like I said, this number is a number no man can number. I mean, there's just so many of God's elect, you and I would never notice if one was missing. If just one was missing, we'd never notice. But the Lord would know it. He knows for sure not one of that innumerable host is lost. John 17, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled, but the son of perdition was never given to Christ. He was just there that the scripture might be, be fulfilled. Of all that you've given me, I've kept them. Not one of them is lost. Now I want you to be sure you don't miss the comfort and assurance for God's people that's in this statement our Savior made. He said, Father, you gave him to me. And I've kept them. If the Father gave you to Christ, He didn't lose you. And He won't lose you now. He's not going to forget you now. If Christ died for your sin, He died for your sin on purpose with your name on His heart. He's not going to lose you. He's not going to forget you now. He's not going to let you perish. And you know how I know that? God himself said, not one of them is lost. And none of them are lost. What a savior we have to trust in. That he came, he saved and he kept that innumerable host all by himself. And then here's the last thing I want us to see tonight. Joseph's ministry Produce life. Verse 50 of Genesis chapter 41. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful 
in the land of my affliction. Now it's been 13 years. 13 years. Since Joseph was sold away from his father. 13 years. 13 years of being a slave. 13 years of being a prisoner in a foreign land. In a, in a dungeon. I mean, with, in the worst conditions, he was kept where, where the, the enemies of the king were kept. Those that committed treason against the, the king were kept. 13 years of that kind of treatment. 13 years of hopelessness. If it weren't for the dreams, if he didn't believe those dreams that the Lord gave him, that eventually everybody's going to be bound down to him, the situation looked hopeless for 13 years. 13 years. Now there's Joseph one day. There in the dungeon. I mean, the guy is just trying to survive another day. I mean, just trying to get through another day. He's trying to find a way not to have those chains that they had on him hurting so much. The scripture says they hurt him. He's just trying to make it where it's not hurting so much. He's just trying to get through the day. And suddenly these fellas from Pharaoh's court come and grab him and wash him up and give him a razor to shave himself and, and take him into Pharaoh. And suddenly Joseph's on the throne. Suddenly he's got a wife. He got children. Joseph was fruitful in the land of his sorrow. Now that is a good picture. Those 13 years, I see them as a picture of those 4,000 years between Adam and Christ. 4,000 years since Adam's fall. 4,000 years of darkness. 4,000 years of sin and death. 4,000 years of hopelessness. Now I know there were prophets in that time preaching the truth. Almost nobody believed them. Isaiah said, Lord, who's believed our report? I mean, the Jews thought, Isaiah, he's the best prophet ever was. He said, nobody's listening. Nobody's believing what I say. We had some promises. We have some types of the Savior who was coming, but almost nobody could see it. It was hidden in the types and shadows and pictures of the Old Testament law, hidden for 4,000 years. And then one day, suddenly, the Lord Jesus came into his temple. At least one man was looking for him. Simeon was looking for him, wasn't he? Suddenly, out of all that darkness, there was light. Suddenly, out of all that death, there was life. Christ, our Savior. Oh, you and I cannot imagine how he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can't imagine how living in this world grieved his holy soul. We just, we can't imagine. But he endured it. And he was fruitful. Oh, he suffered. But Isaiah said he shall see of the travail of his soul. And he shall be satisfied. Every last one of God's children are going to have eternal life. Because our Savior is fruitful. His obedience, his suffering unto death is fruitful. 
and it gave all of God's children eternal life. That one man so fruitful, he gave a number no man can number eternal life. Now I'm sure Joseph had absolutely no idea. He's going through his life. He's doing what he thinks the Lord's put to his hand to do today. I mean, all Joseph's in prison. He thinks, well, you know, I'm supposed to be a prisoner. I'm supposed to serve the other prisoners, you know, like, like the warden's given me responsibility to do. Just doing, doing what the Lord's put to my hand to do today. And suddenly that afternoon, the Lord put to his hand, saving the world from starvation. And Joseph said, well, that's what the Lord's put to my hand to do today. That's what I'm going to do. I'm sure he had no idea he was such a picture of Christ. What a type of Christ he is. I've got a, I should have looked this up before I left home this evening. I got a, a book that Arthur Pink wrote. Some of you might, might have it, the Gleanings in Genesis, he called it. I think Pink came up with 80 or 90 ways that Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph just had any idea what a type of Christ he was. But the Lord's been pleased to show that to you and me. Not so that we're impressed with Joseph. I mean, pretty impressive guy. You know, I'm impressed with the guy. But the Lord showed us this. So it causes us to be impressed with Christ. It causes us to trust him. It causes us to rest in him. That's my prayer for you and me tonight. That the Lord enable us to do that. All right, let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this time you've given us. We can open your word and and see Christ in it. And Father, I do pray that you would be our teacher tonight, that you would give each one of us here tonight faith to see this picture of our glorious Savior and trust him. Father, it's for Christ's glory. It is for our good, but it's for Christ's glory that we pray and ask these things. Amen. All right, Sean, come lead us in a closing here.